Let us draw our attention this morning to the Gospel of John. We are looking at John 17, and so I would invite you to turn to John 17 and let us stand for the reading of God's Word. There in John chapter 17... We will look this morning at verses 1 through 5. John 17, verses 1 through 5. Let us now hear the word of the living God. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come before thee this morning and ask that thou wouldst give us understanding, that as we open thy word, we ask that thou wouldst give us instruction, that thou wouldst teach us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The bulletin shows that we are looking at chapter 17, which is correct. The next three weeks we will be going through this prayer of the Lord Jesus found here in John chapter 17. And so this morning we are looking at verses 1 through 5. Here in John 17, we find the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of those passages that is greatly misunderstood and often overlooked. It is one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Gospels because it shows Jesus before he was betrayed. It shows Jesus before his suffering and death communing in prayer with his Father, Jesus shows us two things in this prayer. He shows us his great priestly work as he offers himself as a sacrifice for sin. And secondly, he shows his work of intercession, which he begins on earth and continues in heaven. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist minister of the 1800s, calls this section of Scripture Christ's pastoral prayer for his people. I love that title that he gives it because when the pastoral prayer is prayed by the one who represents Christ, we call it a pastoral prayer because it is for the needs of the people. Here Spurgeon reminds us that this is Christ's pastoral prayer for his people. The Scottish reformer John Knox on his deathbed had asked 
for the scriptures to be read from John 17. Because he said, this is the place where I first cast my anchor. It was John 17 that led to the conversion of John Knox. Philip Melanchthon, one of Martin Luther's associates in the time of the Reformation, said this, There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or on earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than this prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. We don't see much about Melanchthon, and yet Melanchthon in those words really bring out the heart of the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to see here, first of all, the purpose of the prayer that Jesus prays. We have seen on numerous occasions when we were going through the Gospel of Luke that Jesus takes time to pray. It is always before some event in the life of his ministry. Sometimes he prays particularly after an exhausting ministry. But Jesus gives us the example of prayer because he who is fully man prays and offers up his prayers unto the Lord his God. But here in the passage before us, we see that Jesus in his high priestly prayer, gives somewhat of a purpose for why he prays. Why do we pray? Well, because we are commanded to pray. Because we are to pray for all things agreeable to the will of God. But now here in this prayer, we see Jesus speaking to his Father. The text tells us that he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Now this is not some prescription that always that we should pray with our eyes lifted to heaven. But the point of the text is that these words that Jesus spoke, he spoke as he lifted up his gaze to heaven, as he lifted up his prayer unto his Father. Now this is particularly important And time doesn't allow us to go into all of this. But in the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a Trinitarian prayer. Sometimes we get all confused. Who do we pray to? Do we pray to the Father? Do we pray to the Son? Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Well, if you're like some uh, groups, you just pray to Jesus because He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet here... In this text, Jesus begins to lift his gaze to heaven and prays, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. This is quite intriguing when we think of the purpose for which Jesus prayed. Jesus prays to his Father, When we pray, and particularly in that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, what did he say? We're going through that in the larger catechism, the Lord's Day evening. 
our Father. But here in the high priestly prayer, Jesus does not address our Father. He addresses his Father. There's a relationship that the Son and the Father have together that we do not share in. That's why it's important for us to remember that we do not pray that high priestly prayer. There are some lessons and things in here that we learn. There are some things that we can certainly pray for that God would be glorified in the life of his people. But there are things here that Jesus prays that only the Son can pray. And so he is praying to the Father. There is a relationship between the Father and the Son. They are united in one purpose. They are united in one essence. We hold firmly to that doctrine of the Trinity. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally and yet one God. I asked myself this question this week as I was looking at this text. What do the modalists do? What do the, the people who hold to the fact that Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What do they do? They have Jesus praying to himself. But notice here in this prayer, Jesus is not praying to himself. He's praying to the Father. He's praying to the one who is in heaven. The Father never came from heaven. The Father never left heaven. It is the Son who became incarnate that left heaven. And I think it's important as we note this passage that in John's gospel... It comes at the end of that upper room discourse where Jesus is spending time with his disciples. The other gospels don't record this. But Jesus is having that upper room discourse with his disciples before he goes to suffer and to die for sin. And it is there at the end of that upper room discourse before Jesus is betrayed and led away to death, that he prays this prayer. I think think it's significant to note that Jesus' purpose in praying this prayer is to identify himself with the purpose of the Father. Oftentimes, we can be so divided on what the purpose of the church is. But one thing we see in this prayer is that the Father and the Son are never divided. For they are equally God. And yet there's a distinct role for the Father. And there's a distinct role for the Son. Now Jesus here in this prayer prays the petition. Or begins to pray the petitions of this prayer. But note here in the purpose. That he looks to his Father and says, Father, the hour is come. What hour is he speaking of? He's speaking of that hour appointed for him to suffer and die as a ransom for sinners. The hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. Now this is particularly um, perhaps confusing for us. Because we often say, well, wasn't it the purpose of the son to glorify the father? And throughout the Gospel of John, we see Jesus showing his unity and his oneness with the Father by saying that he will glorify the Father. But here we find Jesus 
in this high priestly prayer, saying, Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. Now remember, the Father and the Son are one in purpose. They're one in essence. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all entered into what is called a covenant of redemption before the creation of the world to save a people. And in that covenant, they agreed that they would glorify one another. And here Jesus says, glorify thy son. Why would he say glorify thy son? Because Jesus, in his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, is exalted to glory. We saw last time as we closed out the Gospel of Luke that Jesus ascended to his Father, that Jesus went to be with his Father. He has just told his disciples in that upper room discourse that the Holy Spirit will come in my absence. He will be your comforter. He will be your teacher. And so the Lord Jesus Christ glorifies himself as he is exalted in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ glorifies himself as he is ascended into heaven. But here Jesus is praying, glorify thy son. I am preparing to go to that hour that has been appointed. I will be rejected. I will suffer. I will be put to death. But I will be raised to life. Jesus in his sufferings, in his death and resurrection, glorifies self. But he also glorifies the Father. Notice that in this purpose of his prayer, Jesus never does anything apart from the Father. They both glorify one another. They are both united in their purpose. So glorify thy Son. May the Son receive glory in His suffering, in His death, His resurrection, and His ascension. And now Christ is glorified. Christ is exalted. And so we see in this high priestly prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ indeed is exalted. But Jesus here invites us to look into the depth and the intensity of that relationship between him and the Father. Jesus shows us that the purpose was for the Son as well as the Father to be glorified. Now when Jesus prays, glorify thyself, earlier in the Gospel of John, there's no contradiction. But here there's a purpose in both the Father and the Son that they might glorify one another. And oftentimes we miss this. And oftentimes we we skip over this high priestly prayer. And yet Jesus prays that the Father and the Son would be glorified together. This is important in understanding the salvation of believers. The salvation of the elect. Because oftentimes we look at the Lord Jesus Christ as the object of our salvation And guess what? The Father and the Holy Spirit are kind of left out of the equation. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved 
in the salvation of the people of God. And so, here in that purpose statement, we find the Lord Jesus Christ submitting to his Father. We find the Lord Jesus Christ submitting to the purpose of God. Notice as he lifts his eyes to heaven, as he prays, Father, he is submitting himself to his Father. In that Trinitarian, in that Trinitarian economy, there is the Father, there is the Son, there is the Holy Spirit. You don't reverse them. Jesus submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. And so, as Jesus prays, his desire is to submit to the will of the Father, particularly as he faces death, as he faces rejection, as he faces the agony of the cross. It is his desire to submit to the will of God. And in his purpose, his desire is that the Son be glorified. He asked the Father to glorify him. The Lord Jesus Christ in his humiliation as he faced death would indeed bring glory and honor unto the Father. We must be very careful that we do not see in this that Christ emptied himself of glory. Christ never emptied himself of glory. He's praying that the Father would be glorified. He's praying that the Son would be glorified. He's also here in this prayer reminding us that there is a relationship between the Father and the Son. The ultimate glory of the Father is that the Lord Jesus Christ would be, would suffer and die and be raised to life. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for what he knows is certain to happen will often add some understanding to our prayers. The Puritan Thomas Manton observes that assurance is the ground of our most earnest request. For prayer is to help on providences that are already in motion. Every providence of God has already been set in motion. Everything that God has decreed has already been set in motion. All that the Father desired for Himself and for the Son has already been decreed. And so in this purpose statement, we see a unity. We see a oneness between the Father and the Son. We see here that the Father gave Him power. Notice verse 2. Over all flesh. That He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. Here is such a strong verse of Scripture to show that it is Christ who gives life to whomsoever He wills. He does not give life to everyone. He does not give life to every single human person. He gives eternal life to as many as the Father had given Him. 
And so we want to see the role of salvation here. That the Father chooses those who will be the object of Christ's saving. And it is Christ who dies for those whom the Father gives him. And so it's his desire. That's his prayer. That eternal life be given to as many as thou hast given him. Then he said, this is eternal life. That they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So we see the purpose, but as we come to verses 3 through 5, we see the petition of the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, this is a little different than our petitions. We are not going to be praying the same thing, but Jesus prays that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now often in our day, many people think that they can have eternal life with no relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll hear people say, well, we all believe in one God. Really? Because if we believe in one God, if we worship one God, we would have to acknowledge that we are called to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. That is his prayer. That is the first petition. Jesus prays for himself. We pray for ourselves. But here in this prayer, Jesus prays that those whom the Father had given him to redeem would come to know the true and living God. This is the heart of Jesus' prayer that will be fulfilled, but it reminds us that our purpose, the purpose of the church, is always to exalt the living God The purpose of the church is always to acknowledge that he is the true and living God. That the people of God might know the true God. That they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this prayer, Jesus prays that we might know him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father. So there's a wonderful thing here as we delve into this. This You can never fully exhaust this text of Scripture. My mind was just swimming this week as I looked at this text of Scripture. And yet, his petition is that he would give life to those whom the Father had given him. If the Father does not give someone to the Son to redeem, they are left under the judgment and the wrath of God. We might say, well, that's a horrid doctrine. But the thing is, all of us should be left under the wrath of God. Because at the end of the day, every one of us are wicked, sinful creatures who deserve death. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ took those that the Father gave him and redeemed them. But in redeeming them, notice, he gave them eternal life. Oh, everyone may think they have life. Their heart is beating. They're they're going about their daily activities. And yet Jesus talks about that eternal life that comes in knowing the true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now remember the Lord Jesus Christ as king 
as Redeemer, as Priest, is praying this prayer. Jesus prays that those who are in relationship to the living God might have life. Notice verse 4. I have glorified thee on earth. Here we see the Son giving glory to himself. He glorified the Father. And now he will glorify himself by completing the work that the Father gave him to do. This is so important to note. That Jesus glorifies himself by fulfilling the purpose for which God gave him. The salvation of sinners. And now he's finished that work that the Father gave him to do. But here in this prayer, Jesus prays, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I said earlier that when Jesus came to earth in his incarnation, when the Son of God took on full humanity, he did not empty himself of all but love. As the old hymn writer says, that is a heretical statement. Jesus did not empty himself of anything. When Paul speaks of Jesus emptying himself in Philippians chapter 3, He talks about pouring himself out like under the Old Testament, a sacrifice, a drink offering. And by pouring himself out, he's emptying himself. In other words, by emptying himself, he takes on the nature of a servant that he might redeem sinners. But when Jesus prays this, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self which the glory which I had with thee before the world began. Jesus didn't lose any glory when he came to earth. He just simply states that in fulfilling the purpose of God and being ascended unto the Father, he will share once again in that glory. He will no longer be on earth, but he fulfills that glory with the Father in heaven. Jesus has two ministries. He has an earthly ministry. He has a heavenly ministry. And he is now fulfilling that heavenly ministry with the Father. They are both now sharing together in that glory. Perhaps when Christ lived on earth, that glory was somehow hidden. Perhaps we didn't see it. But it wasn't absent, it wasn't missing, but Christ in his full humanity now stands as a one who will give his life as a ransom for many. Here the Lord Jesus in his humiliation will face death. Notice what the Apostle Paul says there in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes this text to give consolation and comfort to believers and to call them to have the same humility as the Lord Jesus Christ. There in verse 6 of Philippians 2, 
who being in the very form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Nothing there in the text says that Jesus emptied himself of glory. He simply took on the form of a servant, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death. But notice verse 9, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Jesus in his state of humiliation gives his life as a ransom for sinners and now in his exaltation sitting at the right hand of the Father now shares in that glory which they once shared before his incarnation. Now as we think upon the prayer of the Lord Jesus Excuse me. The Lord Jesus Christ is praying this. He wanted his disciples, particularly who were with him, to hear his prayer. Jesus prays that him and the Father would be one. But Jesus prays that power be given to Christ for the redemption of his elect. Jesus prays. A prayer that will be fulfilled. When you and I pray, we we don't know how God is going to answer our prayers. But Jesus knows because he who is fully God and yet fully man prays that the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father would bring glory to themselves so that the salvation of all of God's elect would become realized. And so in this prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he prays that they might have eternal life, because Christ prays because he's been given authority over all flesh. So he prays that we might know the Father and the Son, that we might know the true God, that we might know the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know that Christ was sent to purchase the salvation of his people, that he completed that work of redemption, and now the exalted Savior is highly exalted over all the earth. Oh, there's some wonderful, rich things as we come away from this passage, but I want us to see here that as Jesus prays, and we'll see this later on as we come to the second and third petition, that Jesus prays for himself, Why would Jesus pray for himself? Because he wants glory and honor for him and for the Father. Because Jesus wants to give life to those whom the Father has given him. And then as he continues to pray, as we will see later, he wants himself to be glorified so that all of his elect might be brought in to his glorious kingdom. Oh, here's a wonderful reminder to us of the great humility of the Lord Jesus Christ that in this prayer, 
as one who is fully man and yet fully God in his full humanity, he submits to the Father. The question for us this morning is, do we submit to the Father? Do we submit to give glory and honor to the Father? Do we desire to give glory and honor to the Son? Our whole life should be to give glory unto the Father. But Jesus prays that glory might be given and that he might finish the work which the Father had given him to do. All of that obviously will be fulfilled. Here we find the lesson for us to be reminded that we are called to have the same humility that the Lord Jesus Christ in his life of humiliation and suffering had. When you go back to that Philippians 2 passage, I think this is always a wonderful passage to draw our our attention to because there it says we are to have the same mind that which was which was also in Christ Jesus. And so that same mind that he speaks of He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Jesus will later pray for the unity of the church, but the question is, how can we claim to be members of the church if we're never united? How can we claim to be members of the church if we're often divided, if we're all going our own different directions? We cannot be united. And the, the... The point of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Fulfill my joy by having the same mind as that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to note as we come to the end of this, this prayer, there's more that could be said. But as we come to the end of this prayer, I want us to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is humble. He has the mind of God. He desires not his own glory. He desires not his own purpose, but he desires the purpose of the Father. And so they are united together so that the Lord Jesus Christ might show that he indeed is exalted as the king over all the earth. question this morning is, have we submitted ourselves unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we desire to glorify Him? Do we desire to glorify the Father? The glory of Christ was earned there at the cross in His suffering and death. He gave Himself as a ransom for sinners. And so Jesus desires to bring glory to the Father. And we too should desire to bring glory unto the Father. As I said earlier, this is not a prayer that we can necessarily pray, but we can be reminded in this prayer of the desire of the Father and the Son for the salvation of His people because what Jesus prayed for is answered and He knows it will be answered. But that is the culmination of His earthly ministry that He would not only bring glory to the Father, but that he would complete the work that God gave him to do. Oh, saints of God, we we just simply come to this text and perhaps we 
we look at it and think, oh, those are, those are some nice things to be reminded of. But this text reminds us that Christ, as our high priest, that the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, becomes our priest so that we can come before him and know that he will intercede for us. He is now exalted in heaven, interceding for his people. And the Lord Jesus Christ continually prays for you and for me. We oftentimes hear it, and it's always encouraging for me to hear that from someone saying, well, pastor, we're praying for you. That should always be an encouragement to us. But you know, the greatest encouragement for us as believers is to know that Jesus Christ is praying for us. Well, wait a minute. He's in heaven. He is God. And yet he is still fully man in heaven. Fully God and fully man. When he returns, we will see him in his full humanity, in his glorified state. But now, in this intermediate state, until we reach heaven, Christ continues to pray for the church that its work would be completed, that his people would receive all that he has promised, and that he would indeed be glorified with the Father. That should be our desire. Is that our desire this morning? To glorify the Father and the Son in our life and our ministry together? It is always the glory of God, not what I desire, but what indeed pleases the Lord our God. And so let us give glory unto God in thanksgiving as we remember what Christ has prayed for us will be accomplished. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray, praise thee and give thee thanks for that high priestly prayer that prayer that you prayed for us as our priest. We do give thee thanks that thou art exalted in heaven, that thou continues to rule and reign as the King and Lord of the church, that thou continues to hear the prayers of thy people. And we do confess unto thee, O Lord, that we stand continually in need of thy mercy and grace. But we ask that you would grant unto us hearts of humility, hearts of desire to please thee and to glorify thee. And we pray that the purpose of the church would indeed be manifested in the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, give us desires to serve Christ, to glorify him and the Father. May we always seek to know him and to know Christ, who indeed is life. We ask this in thy holy and gracious name. Amen. We will conclude this morning by singing Psalm 23b, The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Mm-hmm.